Key Aero, your aviation destination. Historic Aviation. Hello and welcome to the Fly Past podcast. I'm Handsome Kiero and this week we are talking about restorations. Well, one restoration in particular, aren't we? I'm joined by Jeremy Britton and Sarah Thorpe. Hello. Hello. Hello there. How's it going? As well as it can be. What about yourself? Uh, yeah, well, yeah. What you said. <laughs> um, so yeah, thank you for joining us. Let's explain. Let's explain to people why you're here. So, you two have just spent eight years restoring a Nimrod simulator, haven't you? Yes, that's right. Yeah. And uh, you, there's there's a slight bit of kind of silence there. I'm 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 sort of guessing this is uh, you know this has taken a lot out of you two. <laughs> yeah, um, exhaustion. I think it's definitely set in. Um, it was a, it's been a long long uh, long challenge for us. Um, eight, eight years, in fact. Um, definitely there's some uh, challenges and some jubilations as well. Um, so definitely blood, sweat and tears gone into it. Um, it's been a long, a long road and we're really proud to have be able to say that we've completed it and eventually it's going to be on display um, in the museum. Um, I mean, a museum so people can see it. What museum is it going to be in? It's going down to, oh, it's already at Cornwall Aviation Heritage Centre, uh, which is based in, uh, on New Quay Airport, which, of course, used to be the old RAF St. Morgan, for those that might yeah. be able to remember. And that, and that is where the Nimrods were operated from, or one of the main bases for Nimrod uh, ops for many, many years. So we're going to be featuring uh, this restoration on Kiero over the coming weeks, and it's going to be going in Flypast uh, magazine as well. Um, but we just thought we'd sort of kick off with a little bit of a chat about it. And before we get into it, so you two, you're a couple. We are, yes. Now, when did you first decide that doing restorations together would be a good idea? Well, we've only actually been together seven years. So I kind of got thrown sort yeah. of into the deep end with this restoration. I think my love of playing started when I was about five. <laughs> yes. Well, well, so, okay, so hang on, let's, uh, even with my rudimentary uh, grasp of mathematics here, which is, I have to say, it's being very much tested with homeschooling at the moment, but so the restoration took eight years, you've been together mm. seven years, so, so this, this, yeah, so this, 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 this it, it landed basically um, in, in a barn not too far from we, where we are, um, a year before we got together, and that's where it languished for a number of years because of course the first part of it was hunting around markets and auction sites and friends trying to find all the bits to go back in it because it was just a completely empty cockpit when when I first got it and um, so a lot of the first few years didn't actually involve the cockpit the show itself it was more a case of collecting a number of packages and parcels and chasing up leads over many years um, before we got to the stage where we could say, right, we've got the stuff now, let's get down there and start bolting and f trying to fix some of it in. And that was its own challenge. I, 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 I suspect, I, I think it's amazing um, 
to undertake a restoration with, you know, with any other um, person, really, sort of, you know. And I think there'll be a lot of uh, people listening, thinking, "Oh, not sure I'd, uh, I'm not sure I'd do a restoration with my other half." <laughs> I count myself in that bracket, by the way. Uh, you know, apologies to my wife um, if she's listening. She's not. I can guarantee she's not. Um, but it's, it's, it's that takes a particular, you know, particular kind of uh, t- type of person, doesn't it, to undertake that and. Would you say a restoration sort of um, with all the frustrations and, you know, elations and highs and lows that go with it? You say it kind of, you know, tests a, tests a relationship. It certainly does. Yes. Yeah, it, it does push the relationship at times to I the think, highest, highest level, I do believe. Yeah, it definitely has its benefits, though, because we found that if there was something that I couldn't do, Sarah would be able to do it. Um, maybe it's because I'm frustrated or I don't have the particular expertise on some aspect of it. Um, and I'd throw the hammer down and be like, it can't be done. Um, go off and have a cup of tea. And then 10 minutes later, Sarah's done it. Um, but vice versa as well. Um, things that Sarah couldn't do perhaps because she couldn't reach it or whatever. Um, I was able to, to help in some specific way as well. So it was a really good team effort to, to, to talk a bit a little bit about um you know sort of roughly how you kind of you know uh, your different skills and how you kind of you know work together on it yeah um well it was i suppose i've got a bit of a background in aircraft um and engineering and things like that so i knew a little bit about what i was looking for um sarah's sort of expertise was more on the practicalities of fitting it out but then she didn't have the specific expertise, I suppose, on where everything went. So it was a little bit me sort of saying which bits go where, how is best to fit it in. And then Sarah was sort of helping to actually put put some of the bits in. And, and also an eye from a point of view of, well, what, what would the museum want? Um, you came up with a number of good points about, well, is this going to be okay for the museum? Or is that safe? Or is that practical? Um, so, yeah, I mean... It, it was a, a very good um, team effort in that there was both of us, and I don't think one of us could have done it without the other person's help and, and their specific experience. Um, well, obviously, your background's in um, mechanicking as well, so that certainly helped. Yes, I, I finished school and went to college and actually did mechanicking. Um, I was looking at going into the army uh, when, I, when I left school, so to put my grades up, I decided to do the mechanic inside of it, which has certainly come in handy with the restoration. Yeah, I'd, I'd say. <laughs> so, so let's go back to, um, to, to, to the start a little bit. How on earth do you come to acquire one of only two Nimrod simulators ever built? Yeah, it wasn't one, something that I went out to try and find. Um, it wasn't something that we're looking for. It was just a case of um, I've been a aircraft parts collector for ages. Um, one of those sort of anoraks that likes to have bits of memorabilia in a, in a cabinet and uh, of, of various different iconic aircraft. And I was doing a deal on something else, just a, a small box of bits and pieces. And um, it was from um, one of the, the leading aircraft uh, or simulator providers for the RAF. And it was at the time, it just so happened by chance that it was back in 2012 and the, it was the Nimrods that were being 
disbanded at the time and the simulator had just been decommissioned and it was due for scrapping and basically I got talking with with the gentleman and he said that um, you're an, you're interested in aircraft parts um, how do how do you fancy this um, it was going to be scrapped so we we're in a very difficult position because um, my gut of wanting to preserve parts was um, sort of across with having to actually move it and store it because, of course, the original Nimrod, when we got it, was a lot bigger than what it is now. It had a whole sort of old com- control room on the back of it. Um, so it was a nightmare to, to actually move it safely by road, uh, lift it um, and, and access it. So, yeah, it it was very much something that we stumbled upon and um, I'm glad that I did. Um, It was, um, but it was the start of an unintended, very long project. How how big was this thing when you first got it? It it was huge. The thing was huge when we first got it. Um, It weighs somewhere in the region of nine tonnes, in excess of nine tonnes. It was six metres uh, long, or just over six meters long, and four meters wide. Um, and obviously, if you imagine that sort of width at four meters going down the road, it's—I mean, most carriageways are no more than three, three and a half meters wide. So it was—it um, was needing escorting to move. Um, I recall quite vividly the first time it came into uh, our little town, and I was meeting, I was sort of rendezvousing with the haulage driver just outside uh, where, where it was living, and. Um, I uh, I recall the thing coming around the corner for the first time, and, and it was a true monster. Um, the, the height of it as well. Um, I think the height of it is something like three point five meters, and of course, on top of a, a flatbed as well, it, it was it was towering above cars and, and even lorries. So it was it was huge. It really was. I think bigger than anybody anticipated. You looking at that coming around the corner, thinking, "What have we done?" <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. Um, it was a bit of a a, a shock moment of um, realization of the scale of what we'd let ourselves in for. But yeah, and I think a lot of people still remember the day that was actually brought to to, to the town because we have had comments since, haven't we, since completion, saying, "I remember that. I took photos of that." You know, mm. so it's certainly mm. one that stood out in the residents' memory. Yeah, it was a head turner, wasn't it? It was, yeah. And, and, and I imagine a lot of people coming up to you going, what's that? Yes. <laughs> yeah, there is that. Yeah, definitely. Um, we did have um, a lot of, is it a spaceship? <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah, well, it's a perfectly valid <laughs> question. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, any anyone who's ever undertaken uh, a restoration... I think, you know, know that it's a very time-consuming process. Obviously, eight years is not an insignificant amount of time, is it? I mean, where do you start with finding parts for something that is, let's face it, already pretty rare to begin with? Yeah, it was, uh, it was a difficult one trying to find all the parts. Um, it, was, it was purely by chance encounter that we came across most of the parts. Um, I didn't have any sort of expectation that I was going to be able to find all the parts for it. Um, and we did in the end, which was a fantastic achievement. Um, eBay is a good one. Um, <laughs> sometimes you find bits that aren't even described as the aircraft that they came out of. It's just something somebody's bought on a car boot sale or found in their attic and it's just a, um, a clock or um, a piece of plastic panel or something. And 
it's up to me to sort of look at it and think, oh, actually, that, I think that might be something that we need or that looks Nimrod related and you, you build up a photographic memory of sort of everywhere you go, you, you've got your, the back of your mind trained to look for um, sort of panels and parts and I think I'm probably, um, I'd probably be able to recall every gauge and panel that's in there now because you just build up this memory of things that you need over time. And I suppose it's like any sort of collection um, for anybody, whether it's um, we're collecting memorabilia um, of, of all types of stuff. You, you sort of build up a, a thing in the back of your mind of what do you need, what do you want, what's your ideal? And um, it's just this is on a slightly bigger scale. I mean, who has Nimrod parts in their attic? <laughs> Well, exactly. Um, I suppose, I mean, there are, there is a quite, there's quite a big following out there of people that were ex-Nimrod. Um, of course, it was a, quite a pivotal aircraft sort of in the Cold War, and, and it was search and rescue um, for, for many, many years. Um, so it, it's had a number of crew, and due to its long career spanning 50 years, over 50 years, there's a lot of people, whether it be pilots, ground crew, air crew, that have had some involvement with it. Um, and it, it plays a, a close um, sort of affiliation in people's hearts. And I suppose when they were, when they were getting rid of these things, people you know, nicked a panel or a switch or whatever. Um, part of the reason why the cockpit was empty when we got it was it was actually MOD procedure to, to strip it down and they didn't want to be giving um, whole cockpits away, especially simulators. Um, they, they were sort of, um, they weren't classified, but um, the, the thing was sort of planned to be scrapped and that was, um, that was where it was going until we um, came across this by chance. I'm always amazed at the stuff you can find on eBay. I mean, if you can find parts to a, for a Nimrod simulator on eBay, you can find anything on there, can't you? I mean, <laughs> well, it's the yeah, it's the old um, one man's junk's another man's treasure um, sort of yeah. thing. I mean, I've, some of the stuff you, you, I've paid pennies for it, um, but then it's the odd thing that's quite stubborn, and and you end up paying a lot more than what you plan to. So I dread to think how much the things cost, but um, yeah, it, it's um, it's a bit of a, a, a an interesting one for sure. That's an interesting point, actually, isn't it? I mean, what you're saying, I suppose, is that there there might be some sort of gauge or or dial that you know it's probably cost you a quid or something like that because you know no one wants it, whatever. But then there's probably other bits that are sort of sought after, and you're kind of having to sort of think, oh, look, I'm not I'm not quite sure that we can stretch that. The problem is, if you're six years in and you really need that panel, you haven't got any choice, have you? Not really. No, it was uh, yeah a bit of a do or die situation. Um, you kind of appeal to people's better nature that um, some of this gear is going back into the home that it lived for so long, and that um, they're able to donate it or, or maybe offer us some sort of a discount. And that did happen in a number of cases um, on on the full um, full videos that um, that's going to be on the uh, on the website. Um, we, we discussed obviously about a, a, a particular panel that we were hunting down for many, many months and how we came to acquire that free of charge. And that was an interesting achievement. That's right. Yeah. We, 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 yeah, people will be able to watch that. And also, I think that it's the frustration, isn't it, of, of certain parts with any restoration, there's always a part, isn't there, that you just think we're never going to get that. You know, I suppose you have to kind of, in a way, plan for, for that, don't you? You have to, you sort of go into these things accepting that there may be a couple of bits that you 
just might not be able to just might not be able to get. Mm. Mm. Yes, yeah, which is one of the reasons why it took so long to complete, to be honest, because we wanted the the, the majority of the gauges, the panels, the screws, just just everything before we actually started to rebuild. So there was very little left that we did need. And hopefully it wasn't too noticeable, mm. those little things that we didn't need. But in that meantime, we could still keep an eye out on mm. eBay, um, at, at air shows when there was going before, obviously COVID, we, you know, we was looking at stalls and things like that. Things did appear on those as well, which was mm. fantastic. Yeah, it tended to come up in waves um, because um, so some of the some of the Nimrod gear wasn't just exclusive to the Nimrod. It was um, sort of a, a particular gauge or or switch of the time, um, and it was in a number of aircraft. And as as they became obsolete, things would start to sort of come come to the top, if you like, and and become um, available. So something that we hadn't seen for maybe two or three years, it suddenly there'd suddenly be ten of them. It was like buses. Um, it, it was it was very strange, but I think it was like just for example the the VC10. Uh, some of those people that remember the VC10 had a lot of stuff in common with the Nimrod um, avionics wise. And when they were decommissioned after the Nimrods, um, it was um, that that stuff came into the domain and um, it, it helped us out a little. What was the most random place you you managed to um, track something down? That's an interesting one. Uh, that's an interesting one. I can't think. I'm sure there is somewhere. Um, I think just like a car boot or something. Um, not even an aircraft-related thing. But you, you, you're constantly on alert all the time, even even when you're not somewhere that's aircraft-related. You sort of, oh yeah, could that or could that be used? In fact, I mean, there's some some stuff that we've sort of repurposed. And it isn't actually um, the official thing, but it's been adapted in a way to make it work. Uh, Fixings are sort of an example as well, Um, sort of getting the actual panels fixed. Sometimes we've got to use um, modern fixings. But for the the most part, I I would say that this project is 98%. uh, It's the real gear. Um, There isn't any any plastic cardboard mock-ups or anything like that. This This is the real kit. What makes a good restorer? Oh, you can answer that one. <laughs> We've got a lot of patience. Patience. And a lot of dedication. Dedication. Yeah. Yeah. Passion, I think. Yeah. Um, enjoyment. Um, yeah. I think that's... I, I think the thing that does it uh, for me personally is the fact there were so many people when I first saw the aircraft myself I actually thought it should go to play in heaven I'll be honest mm-hmm. um, and even I doubted at first but I could also see the potential of what it could be and I think you do need to have that potential vision of where you're going and the amount of people that did come up and say it's not possible you can't do that you know and just have that finished product for me, that that did bring tears to the eyes because it was one of those reliefs where so many people had the doubts and at times so did we. Mm. But we, we did complete it and that in itself to us just absolutely meant the world. That was a, a happy Christmas, <laughs> a big relief at Christmas. 
Yeah, it was it was great, really, yeah. um, to prove that some of those people were wrong. Not that they were saying it in a negative way, but they just couldn't see that vision that we had. Um, so it was, yeah, it was a nice moment to actually turn around and show it. Um, yeah, like I said, a lot of these people saw the aircraft when it first arrived, and they'd seen they didn't see it every day like we were seeing it, mm. but they were seeing it sort of once a week, and they're thinking. Oh, it's just not possible. The time limit's not possible. When did you say the lorry's going to be here? And it's like, we can do this. We are doing this, you know. So we mm. was not just reassuring each other, but reassuring and putting the confidence in other people. And when the, when sort of the, the farmer alone came um, in that day, on, on the completion date, um, he absolutely came up and he said, if I could shake you around, I would do because I think you've done an amazing job. I didn't mm. think it was going to come back. You've definitely, I think one of the traits is you've definitely got to have a, a goal in sight um, because it's easy to lose momentum and, and lose enthusiasm um, in a long, long project like this. Um, so what we've done actually is we, we committed to the Cornwall Aviation Heritage Centre that we'd have this cockpit ready for their next season. Um, which is due to open next month, um, or in fact, the first of Feb- only in another two weeks' time. But of course, that's that's changed due to COVID. But um, that gave us the end date to actually have this exhibit ready, and um, it meant that we had to we had to move on with it, even on days where it might be too cold or rainy to be contemplating going out and, and working in a cold uh, barn, which is where it was uh, stored and where the Sort of restoration happened. So, did did either of you at any point utter the the, the phrase? Why did you give them that deadline? Why did you have to put? <laughs> yes, yeah. That I think that was me. If I'm honest, um, <laughs> maybe about a month before the shell was completed, we was just sort of starting to work on the inside, um, mm. and I just said. Uh, even I don't know if this is possible. It worked out all right in the end yeah. uh, with, with about two hours to spare. Um, yeah, it, we, we used every day that we had and it was done for the day that we booked to go. Uh, we had to book in the transport for and things in advance, you see. So, um, yeah, we, we, were, we were pinned to a date and, and that was when we, when we aimed for and That was it, really. I mean, we, we managed it in the end and it was, yeah, it was great. You mentioned... Um, the emotional aspect of doing a restoration. And I think that these projects, um, generally speaking, take so long that they, they kind of take over your life, don't they? And they, they're, they're very much all-consuming. And you have that elation at the end, don't you, on completion. And then, you know, what does it feel like then when you've, when you've finished it and you've handed it over? And then after eight years, you, haven't, you don't have to be, um, you know, hunting down uh, Nimrod parts anymore. You know, what... What did what yeah. does that feel like? It's a bit of a void, isn't it? Really, I think. Yeah. It's a bit of a void. It, it, it's quite emotional. Yeah, I feel like I've got an emotional attachment, even though when I started this relationship with Jeremy, Nimrod wasn't part of it. I genuinely feel now that the Nimrod has played a big part in my life because I spent so long mm. working on it with Jeremy. Mm. Um, it it was quite emotional to see the lorry go one way with Nimrod on the back and us go the other way. Um, and just to know that it's going to go to a really good home where mm. 
the, the guys are genuinely going to look after it. People are going to love it. And, and the feedback that we've had of some of their viewers uh, at the museum who have seen it on, on their Facebook page have just mm-hmm. been amazing. And, and that is the reason why we did it originally. It, it wasn't just to restore something. It was to, to sort of educate children in, in the future. Um, it, it was to bring back memories for people who maybe are, are poorly in some way, just to bring back the happy times if they would like to go and see it, just mm. things like that. So there's a lot of attachment built, built around Nimrod. Yeah, I, I would agree, to be honest. I mean, it, it is a sad time when you see something that is sort of classed as your baby going um, because you'd invested so much time into it. But you've got to remember that it's going to a team of experts that either worked on the Nimrod and know it almost as well, if not better than us. Um, and these are ex-engineers, volunteers, excellent people that work in all sorts of aircraft museums, but specifically in Cornwall. And that is where they will um, they will take that care of it and um, be able to display it for everybody to see, um, children, veterans, public. Um, that is where it wants to be, and that's why we do it. Yeah. I suppose in particular, if you, if you come across, you know, you know, a former pilot who has a look inside and goes, look, that is absolutely you know, spot on. That must be one of the most satisfying aspects of it. Yes. Yeah, that's that is great, is that? And we've, we've had that a couple of times. Um, yeah, it, it, that is why we did it um, as, as authentic as possible. Yes, we could have we could have um, cut corners. We could have put different types of switches in and, and plastic gauges or printed some uh, bits of paper out and, and done this, that and the other, but it wouldn't be authentic. Um, and my biggest critic is those people, um, the people that know Nimrod inside out. Yes, perhaps some members of the public wouldn't notice, but there are people that served on Nimrod for 40 years and they know exactly what that cockpit is supposed to look like. And it was I wanted to do them a justice um, by making that 100% authentic. And that is what we've got. And the feedback that we've received from a couple of those people that served on Nimrod um, is that, um, yeah, it's exactly correct. The thing is as well, it brings back all the emotions throughout. Every time we get a positive comment, it, you sort of, it's like the feeling's never gone away. Even the Since, smell, even the yeah. smell is still there. That's that's yeah. a distinctive one. You you go in there and it, it's like, I don't know, I can't describe the smell, to be honest, but like the, some of the old aircraft sort of instrumentation and panels, they have a distinctive smell. And um, it was great to get that back. Um, you walk in there and, and you've got that sort of, I mean, it's not overpowering, but you, you've got that sense of, yeah, this is an aircraft. This, is, this was a live aircraft. Um, that was that was used by countless Nimrod pilots. Um, the majority of Nimrod pilots were trained on this very sim, um, so it, it holds um, probably good memories for a lot of people. What are you going to do next? Yeah, <laughs> um, no, we, we, yeah, we've discussed it tentatively. Um, uh, next is probably a break uh, for a, a while. <laughs> We've got a few of our own projects that we want to do that aren't uh, aviation related. Um, but yeah, I mean, in the future, I'm sure that there will be uh, some other restoration, um, perhaps not on the same scale. That was definitely the, the biggest restoration of any kind that we've done. Um, but yeah, watch this space. 
we will never say never because as much as it was very challenging at times and at times very frustrating it was also a, an absolute enjoyable lovable project mm. to, to work on and as much as I've never signed up for this I, I did only sign up for a day of helping <laughs> yeah that's funny <laughs> and, and seven weeks later I'm still working on it sort of quite a lot of hours a day and then um, eight years later <laughs> absolutely but even now I still wouldn't change change that and, and I, I do honestly think that if I hadn't been with Jeremy I, I would never have even considered working on a a cockpit so I, I do honestly thank him from that side because it was really enjoyable it's a fun thing to put on your yeah. CV isn't it yeah, yeah, it can't be that. I mean, how many, how many couples do you think there are? Is there another couple in in Britain, do, you know, who do restor- who undertake restorations on, you know, historic? I don't know. I don't know if there is. To be fair, I, I must admit, I've not, I've not heard of them. I've not heard of one. But yeah, probably end up going viral. The, the mad restoration couple. <laughs> the mad restoration couple. These headlines write themselves, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> we don't get any ideas. <laughs> no, don't, don't, don't worry, don't worry. Um, it's it's a brilliant, it's a brilliant project. Uh, I'm really, really looking forward to showing people. Um, you know, on uh, on Kiero, and it's going to be great to see it in Flypast as well. Um, thank you very much uh, for chatting to us. No thank you very much. Thank you for tonight. Thanks very much. Yeah, and uh, so thank you, uh, thank you everyone for listening, and um, same time again next week. This has been a podcast from Key Aero, your aviation destination. Remember, visit www.key.aero for more of the same. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope to catch up with you again soon.